Every time I'm about to start, someone comes flying in with a comment. Like I'm poised over the microphone about to speak. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast. I'm Joseph Dorowski, here with Todd Mack. And each week, we look at a great character and a great story. This week, we are looking at all the characters in all the stories as we discuss Joseph Campbell's summation of the hero's journey. So this is a this is, um, a special request podcast from listener Spencer, who happens to be my father, <laughs> who also happens to be our first Patreon supporter. Uh, we said that uh, any anybody who gives us five dollars a month on Patreon uh, can choose their own episode, and this was what he chose. So we're doing it. This one's for you. And if you would like to have your own choice of any future episode, you are welcome to become a $5 patron supporter. You can go to protagonistpodcast.com and look for the support button or the Patreon button. And from there, if you do $5 a month, we'll get in touch with you and let you choose any episode you want. And we actually already have another one coming because we have more than one patron. It's delightful. <laughs> That's true. So, uh, well, Joseph, we should say you can, you can do more than $5 and still get no that limit, deal. no limit on how much <laughs> you can just start five, or more. Throw, throw some zeros after it if you wish. We will not say no. What is the hero's journey, Joseph? Or do you want me to answer that question? Uh, I can do the a quick version, and then we will spend the rest of the time, I guess, both talking about a long version. Uh, this is sometimes also called the monomyth, and this comes from uh, the writings of a man named Joseph Campbell, who went to school to become a scientist and then decided the humanities were better. And studied, Yay. <laughs> yes, <laughs> studied uh, myth and narratives, and he started to notice connections that no matter uh, the origin of a story or a myth or a fairy tale, uh, you know what part of the world or when it was uh, being told, that there were certain elements that were shared, and he called this the the hero's journey, kind of the the shared story that it seemed much of humanity was telling in their stories and their narratives. So, when was the first time uh, you heard about the hero's journey? I know it was in high school, and I'm actually going to guess it was probably on a special documentary about Star Wars. <laughs> would be, um, I guess that I heard the first mention of it. Uh, George Lucas is famous and for for actually working with Campbell after he read uh, Campbell's uh, famous book, The Hero with a Thousand Faces. That Campbell also looked over the Star Wars uh, script and helped to ensure that it kind of lined up with the monomyth. Um, and so that was, I think that would probably be when I first heard of it. Do you know when you first heard about it? Yeah. Um, I was taking a Spanish literature class at BYU as an undergrad. I think I was still, yeah, I was an undergrad. Um, and the, it was a survey of literature from Spain and the professor, Greg Stallings had us read a- along with all of this uh, Spanish literature. We read, uh, here with a thousand faces changed my life it's totally awesome yeah it um you know not every story is going to perfectly line up with the steps or stages that campbell identified but it uh when you start to look for those it kind of becomes surprising how many do uh in disparate stories that you wouldn't necessarily connect you can start if you break them down to their their building blocks you can see these these stages um it kind of breaks down the the if you're just going to do a three-step version of it it is about the the journey of um someone who's in uh, a normal individual into a hero and the three stages would be the departure, as they kind of leave a normal life, the initiation, as they become more heroic, and then the return. Those are the three basic stages, but Campbell identified 17 individual stages throughout <laughs> uh, that can be commonly found. Again, not universally found, but commonly found in a lot of the stories that he was analyzing. 
So we might want to um, clarify a couple of things. Thing number one is uh, listen to this podcast at your own peril because this could possibly change your life. It changed mine. I tell my students every time I teach this, uh, you will probably never see the world the same way again or like read or view things. Um, and it's one of the reasons why I love uh, the hero's journey so much is that you can explain it pretty quickly. I mean, you can teach this in five or ten minutes and give students um, something to kind of hang their hat on and they can go out and, and feel like they're getting way more out of the TV that they're watching or the films that they're watching or the books that they're reading. Um, so that's something that I, I really... One of the reasons that I really love this, even though um, I understand some of the reasons why uh, some people find it problematic. Uh, the thing number two is that uh, while every, according to Campbell, every story ever told um, follows the hero's journey, not every story follows all 17 steps of the hero's journey. And some stories contain all 17 steps multiple times. <laughs> so, so it's not like every story begins at the beginning and ends at the end. Some stories only focus on one part. Um, and we don't even see other parts of the journey, or they may be kind of glossed over. So, And in an earlier episode, when we were talking about the Hunger Games, we, we talked a bit about how you can see some narrative antecedents in Hunger Games and in the character of Katniss, like that there's some borrowed elements from pre-existing stories. But once you start to look at all stories for the hero's journey, you're going to think there's nothing original that's ever been told. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, I mean, that's really the most, the, the power in, in this is exactly that. I mean, he he's buys in completely to the idea that there is no nothing completely original, that everybody is dipping from the same well, that this story, this structure is hardwired in our brains in a way that we just can't escape. It's getting into some of the Jungian collective unconscious kind of right. thought. Yeah. It's just it's burned in there. It's it's the it's it's in, inescapable. I even had a once when we were talking about this someone had said uh, you know, there's definitely stories that don't fit this. And they said, uh, you know, like, um, hop on pop. You can't say that, that. And then I was like, well, Mr. Brown, <laughs> Mr. Brown is out of town. <laughs> Mr. Brown came back. Mr. Brown came back with Mr. Black. And you know, those hits yeah. some of the stages, it's not, you know, in depth or anything, but it, yeah, there's just elements of this that kind of, when you start to look for them, it will be shocking how frequently they appear from things from individual episodes of a TV series, or if you look at a, a long arc in a TV series, or you know from uh, adventure films to you know children's films, you're going to start seeing some of these elements. You guys have uh, kind of touched on something I wanted to ask you about. In, in that you know you can see it everywhere, and even where you don't think you'll see it, you can you can find it. I've kind of wondered: Do you think it's true that it's it is so completely hardwired in that? you can't create story without this or I've kind of wondered if it's not unlike something called the four effect or the Barnum effect, which is that a description sufficiently vague can be applied to anything, mm -hmm. which is usually used for, for personality yeah. tests. But in this case, are, like, could it be that his description is sufficiently vague and doesn't require every step to be fulfilled to the point that you can find sufficient ev evidence to, connect any story to the hero's journey that's uh that's one of the big i mean that's among the one of the, among the criticisms of the hero's journey is that like well yeah whatever it's so vague it's so general you don't have to have the whole thing so yeah of course right but i don't know 
the every time that I teach this and and every time that I think about it, uh, it just strikes me how spot on he is about about so many things, and and I start to think about just stories and structure and makes a lot of sense. I mean, it rings, it rings really true to me. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, the other, the other question would be, uh, especially now, now that people know about the hero's journey, it is a major uh, influence it, in current popular culture. Like, there's no way around huge. it. Yeah. Like every, I'm sure every screenwriter that's working in Hollywood on, on blockbuster films has read the hero with a thousand faces or at least yeah. read a summary. So of at it. a certain, at yeah. a certain point it's, it's yes. self-fulfilling. Right. At what to what extent is this like hardwired into our brains, and to what extent is it a social construct? And I would say yes. Yeah. I mean, or even if they haven't uh, read a hero with a thousand faces, they maybe base their structure off of Star Wars. You know, for you know, for a basic plot outline, and at that point, you've basically you know followed the hero's journey. I don't know, man. I think that if you're writing, if you're a script writer for in, a major script writer in Hollywood, writing for any of these big like blockbuster action films, uh, you have way more than cursory knowledge of the hero's journey. I think. So, but uh, so I think that there is some, uh, to some levels, kind of a social construct. This is, uh, in some ways, getting into like Freud, and how in modern psychology, um, most modern psychologists are not, uh, you know, devotees of of uh, Freud, and yet we see Freud stuff just over and over and over and over again in um, in art and literature and film and. Um, so those ideas persist because people find them uh, to be compelling, even if science kind of moves on. And so regardless of what anthropology, at this stage, regardless of what anthropologists or social scientists um, or archaeologists find out about where stories really come from or the way that our brains really work, uh, this has been, because of this book, this structure has been built into the way that we tell stories now. There's no way of escaping it. And it's one of those where even if you're not trying to follow it, often you're, you're trying to push against it, which you're still reacting to it. Like that's, right. that is because it's so pervasive in our culture and in our, in our contemporary narratives. Andrew, what's the, uh, the term for the effect that once you hear a, a term or an idea, you start to see it everywhere? Uh, Bader Meinhof. I, I think believe I'm that's called that right. the Scarlet Pimpernel effect. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but it, I think it's Bader Meinhof, but I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly. Right, and the origin of that is that there was a man who heard about that group, a German group, right? It was a yeah, uh, uh, like a German underground resistance sort yeah. of thing. But once he first heard of it, he like caught like four references to it in the next few days, and so he named the effect of like once you learn something, you see it everywhere. Because before that, your brain just kind of skips over things and you know just kind of files it away. And I think the hero's journey is one that you'll, I know I did. And I imagine you do, you have to Todd, a, a massive, bi- what is it? To- Andrew <laughs> Bottermeinhoff effect. Where once Scarlet you, once you hear the hero's yes. journey, you're going to see it everywhere. Yeah. It's the Scarlet Pimpernel. It's when she sits in the, in the room and she realizes that it's him. And then she looks around and all the Scarlet Pimpernels are all over on the walls. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. Yep. It's there. It's, it's, have- it's just, yeah, it's power. It's a really powerful thing. I think. I had it happen to me in second grade. It's the first time I can remember it specifically. I wrote an essay on the Statue of Liberty, and I could not stop seeing the Statue of Liberty everywhere. Like, every movie I ever saw, you know, for, for three weeks, I was like, the Statue of Liberty's there. I wonder if that fact, like, would it have still been like, green you- or, or would it have been copper yeah. still? <laughs> when you were in second grade? <laughs> yeah, I wrote, I wrote, like, a two-page essay, and then it was like, Statue of Liberty is all over the place. 
Right, because once you, once I thought you, you were going to say in second grade you wrote an essay about the hero's journey. No, <laughs> no, he, well, he was no, describing. No, no. I'll just turn this podcast for, over to you now. <laughs> he, he's, he saved those for. He high was school. not saying the first time he encountered the hero's journey. The first time he he realized the nature of the Bottermeinhof effect. Yes, I got it. Yeah. Maybe to start this, the the way that I always start this discussion is I draw a big circle on the board, and we'll start our little hero at the top of the circle, and he can move counterclockwise or clockwise. I've seen it both ways. It's fine. Uh, but he starts there. He's in a place. Let's call it Tatooine. <laughs> it's, it's just uh, pull a name out of a hat. So the hero, he's on, uh, maybe he's on a dusty, sandy planet called Tatooine. And he's bored um, with his life. There's something dissatisfying about it. Maybe he lives under a cupboard with some uh, abusive, oppressive aunt and uncle who, you know, keep him locked under the stairs. Perhaps he just is a hobbit, and he just wants to, you know, live his life like a like a, any other hobbit and not be bothered. And then, uh, and then someone comes along or something comes along and calls our hero on an adventure. This, this stage is called The Call to Adventure. <laughs> the Call to Adventure. <laughs> um, the person who uh, issues The Call to Adventure is called a herald. Uh, not like herald and Maud, but, you know, like a herald, like an angel. Um, like Hark the Herald Angels. And the Herald can be any number of things. <laughs> it could be an event, it could be a person, it could be a message. It could be the, the death of, you know, your aunt and uncle it could be the at dis- the hands of stormtroopers. It could be the discovery of an object. Yeah. It could uh, be an owl. <laughs> could be an owl bringing magical letters. Uh, it could be, it could be your Tony Stark in the desert and you get blown to bits and you're locked up in a you know could thing be, could be that you're working in a factory and your best friend dies and you realize i don't want to be a factory worker my whole life i want to go play football for the university of notre dame yeah any of those things would be a call to adventure so there's a call to adventure and then you have a you have a couple of options as a hero you can accept the call or refuse the call unless there's anything else you want to say about the call to adventure no i think we covered it Okay, so a hero can accept or refuse the call. If he refuses the call, then um, the... <laughs> well, I would say, like, uh, often there's other events force you to take the call. So in Star Wars, I'd say the first call to adventure, or the first herald for Luke Skywalker, is when R2-D2, you know, shows him the message from Princess Leia. Uh-huh. And he refuses, like, they go and find Obi-Wan, and Obi-Wan's like, you should come with me, and Luke refuses. But then after his aunt and uncle die, that's when he's like, okay, I gotta get out of here. There's nothing yeah. for me. Campbell says, refusal of the summons converts the adventure into its negative. Walled in boredom, hard work, or culture, the subject loses the power of significant affirmative action and becomes a victim to be saved. His flowering world becomes a wasteland of dry stones, feels like Tatooine, and his life feels meaningless, even though, like King Minos, he may, through titanic efforts, succeed in building an empire or renown. Whatever house he builds, it will be a house of death, a labyrinth of cyclopean walls to hide from him, his minotaur. All he can do is create new problems for himself and away the gradual approach of his disintegration. So Campbell is not a big fan of people refusing the call. When the call comes, <laughs> if you want to be a hero, you better take it. And even if you, it seems like you have a life of success, right? Maybe you become a king. Maybe you become rich. You will never, ever, ever be happy if you don't accept right. the call to adventure when it comes. Because you'll always wonder, like, if, say, a voice tells you to mow down a field of hay or corn, you might wonder... Even if you refuse it, you're going to spend the rest of your life wondering, what if I had mowed down? Had uh, built a baseball baseball field. Yeah, Yeah. in in my cornfield. I want to issue a challenge to our listeners. If you can come up with every reference (laughs) that is made throughout this episode, specifically the references that are made without actually saying the name of the work, uh, and and, 
go through and just find all of those, I'll be super impressed and we'll, we'll, we'll <laughs> give our, you a shout that's out. That's our prize. <laughs> super impressed. <laughs> Because I think we're already over 15. I, I'll tell you, the uh, the way I'm coming up with most of these is I'm sitting in a room and I'm looking at my DVD shelf. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, uh, that one. I can pull that one in. <laughs> there's an example. And there's an example. And there's an example. Do you guys think the um, specifically the call and, and the refusal of the call, it seems to me like that's the most universally experienced. Like everybody kind of feels like they have those moments or where they're waiting for a call. Do you think that's a, like an important hook to to get the audience involved is to have them say, yeah, I've had moments where it's like, Oh, I should do this. And this would be, you know, a tremendous step. And they either reject it or accept it. It's totally fundamental to the hero's journey. And there, we talked about that there are 17 steps here and some of them are used more or less frequently than others. Um, but gosh, it's hard. It's hard to have any hero go on a journey without having some kind of call, whether that call is just total circumstance or whether that call is, you know, a bearded wizard knocking on your front door, uh, inviting you to go on a on an adventure. <laughs> so, uh, so I mean, this is it's really hard to separate uh, the structure of the story into the the how do I say this? It's hard to separate the stories that we tell about other people, so the fictional stories that we tell, and the stories that we tell about ourselves. But I think that um, on some level, Jung would say, uh, Campbell would say, and I would agree, that there seems to be something built deep inside of our psyche that wants to have an adventure, that wants to go out, to receive a call, to do something. Uh, the next step is supernatural aid, um, often in the form of a mentor, but not exclusively so. It could be in the form of a cowardly lion um, where you're talking scarecrow, <laughs> um, but as you as you begin your journey and uh, you're on your way to departing your your mundane life, this, there will be some form of aid that comes. And when we talk about the hero's journey, he was dealing with uh, Campbell was talking about myth, um, but you know we're dealing with so many nar- narratives. The aid might not always be supernatural. It could be, you know, a really trained super spy who helps you after you get the government secrets downloaded into your brain. You know, and it, there's all sorts of different roles. Could be that, uh, your your gardener. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but but you'll you'll have some sort of aid as you come to the threshold, and the threshold is where you have to make the choice of are you going to go on an adventure, or are you going to s- turn back to the mundane world? Um, are you going to, uh, you know, take the red pill or the blue pill? You know, any of those things. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna go down the rabbit hole. Yes. Or uh, I one of my favorite versions of this is in Stardust, where it's literally the threshold is just a wall. <laughs> are you gonna are you gonna walk to the wall that separates the safe normal village from uh, the magical realm that's on the other side? Could be a platform, maybe nine and three quarters. Uh, <laughs> this could be a, a door on the back of a a, a wardrobe, mm-hmm. possibly. Yeah, and often there are threshold guardians. And that's where you may need your supernatural aid in order to actually cross the, thre- the, th- the threshold. Might be a potion that makes you get smaller or bigger so that you can fit through doors of s- certain sizes. Mm-hmm. Um, I, w- one thing that Campbell points out that I think is really interesting is that status quo is, and this, is, this gets back to what we were talking about before with Andrew, is that while there is, seems to be something something like ingrained in us, this desire to want to go on an adventure, uh, there are an awful lot of people who are really happy not going on adventures. And in fact, a lot of people take pride in 
sort of staying in the safe zone, right? Mm -hmm. So you can uh, say you're a fish, you have a you know a little baby fish, maybe he has a a little uh, a little fin, and uh, you don't want him to go out into the great big open ocean. You want him to stay in the reef. And a lot of people take pride in like not rocking the boat and not going into places that are dangerous, right? There's a reason why forbidden forests are called forbidden forests, because most people don't go into them. Most people stay in the safe village. But if you want to be a hero, if you want to have this adventure and and get uh, whatever it is that you're going to get on your adventure, whether it's uh, a magic potion or a special uh, power or just wisdom, uh, you have to leave the safety of your village and you have to go into the forbidden forest or go into outer space or wherever it is that you're, you need to go. I, I think it's interesting that while there is this kind of ingrained desire to want to go on an adventure, there are also millions of reasons to not go on, a, <laughs> go on adventures. And I'm, I'm not coming up with any examples, but I know there are stories that are just about someone receiving a call to adventure and then settling back into their regular life and not, not ever going on that adventure, um, which would still be, you know, as we've said, you could argue that that's following some stages of the hero's journey. You just, they stopped at the refusal to the call, which is, like we said, maybe this is one of the reasons why this is too broad and too generic. But I think it's still interesting to think about all of these. Well, I, the one example that stands out to me is like um, Han Solo who receives a call to adventure and then refuses and but then gets kind of swept up in it again when does Han Solo refuse I'm well to... when he maybe this is later in the in the thing i'm thinking about i guess at the end of new hope when uh -huh. he like packs up the millennium falcon and he's okay. like i'm out of here right <laughs> he's like i'm done i need to go have my riches basically right like yeah, i've got I my wonder... reward i'm out of here and it seems to me like when he swoops back in to save Luke, that that's really Han accepting the call. Up until that point, it, it's all – he's in it for – man, now that I think about it, Katniss Everdeen seems to be like somebody who doesn't really <laughs> – I mean, this is going – I guess we have to post our Hunger Games episode before this one because but, – but doesn't it seem like she doesn't ever really – I don't know. But she goes. I mean, she goes on the journey. She does go on the. She does go on the journey. But but there. She's not sort of that or die. She's not proactively embracing it. Yeah. 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 Interesting. This is the kind of stuff that like I I could just talk about this forever. I think right. it's so interesting. <laughs> Uh, the, the next stage, this is still during the departure stage. This is um, called the belly of the whale, and this is where you fully leave behind your previous life. And you become immersed in a new world. And this is where your metamorphosis from an ordinary schlub into a hero truly begins. Uh, you know, or where you, you're fully committed to it. Yeah, this is where you, you push past, past the, last, uh, the last coat in the closet and you yeah. walk into Narnia. Or you hop into the DeLorean and you, you, know, you travel to a new time and then you're in it. <laughs> you know, you're, or you throw your motorcycle keys to the guy and say it's yours, and you get on the you get on the little shuttle that's going to take you up to the uh, big spaceship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, speaking of calls to adventure, like at that at the beginning of the J.J. Abrams Star Trek, that's a mm -hmm. that's a, such a great call to adventure when he's got the the toilet paper hanging out of his nose, <laughs> and and Pike comes and and calls him to adventure. Yeah, that's if you're looking for um, like a really clear, clear example. That's one of the best that I can think of. That's that's not, you know, The Hobbit or Star Harry Wars. Potter. 
or Star Wars. <laughs> All right, and now we're going to be entering the next stage, um, which tends to be, I would say, the longest stage for our narratives. So if, we're, if you're thinking about the circle that we've drawn on the board now, uh, now you need to draw a line through the center uh, horizontally through that circle, um, and you need to draw the bottom half of the color in the bottom half of that circle dark. So the top half is light, the bottom half is dark. Uh, the hero has gone, when I'm drawing it, he's always going uh, clockwise. So he's, uh, he's met his, uh, he's got his supernatural aid, and now he's crossed the threshold. So now our arrow moving clockwise has just crossed over that horizontal line, and now we've gone from the light into the dark. And this is the stage called Initiation. Uh, this is where the most transformation comes uh, for the hero, where, as you, as Top was saying, in this journey, they'll either uh, gain the knowledge or the find the artifacts or save the world, you know, whatever their quest is. Uh, they will. It's during this process that they strive to accomplish that task, but also they themselves change in that journey. This would usually be about Act 2 of a three-act structure, right? Yep. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, Act 1 is about establishing what the normal world is and then showing that this character doesn't fit there and why. And then this one is helping them to become who they should be. Yeah. And the, there are two basic things that happen uh, during the process of initiation. There are trials and there are helpers. So you'll come across any number of beasts or natural obstacles or... Puzzles to be solved. Puzzles to be solved. These are all trials. And along the way, also, this person will often, your hero will accrue uh, a little crew. <laughs> yes. So. A, a group of... A, a, <laughs> a fellowship, you know, if you will. A, possibly a fellowship. Maybe... You might find might find a raccoon <laughs> and a tree and an assassin. Yeah. Poss- possibly. These, um, these are all options. <laughs> yeah, you could have, you know, a, a, a couple of friends that you meet up with on, the, uh, on a train. While your mentor you're... may or may not be with you during the entire initiation phase right (laughs) they may die (laughs) well at some point you have to be separated from your mentor because otherwise you do not become the hero you're just a helper the entire time right just a student so at some point there has to be separation from that mentor Uh, but those are really the two big things that happen through this stage of initiation so if we're looking at like between three o'clock and six o'clock on our clock this is all about gaining help from people um, sometimes these are called gatekeepers. They, they stand at some, some gate <laughs> and they open it. Uh, and sometimes they follow you through and then they're part of your, uh, fellowship. And sometimes they have to stay behind. Maybe they get shot full of arrows as, um, as they're helping you to escape, uh, uh and, and help you move, move into the next, uh, stage of your journey. Um, maybe you, maybe your hero secretly leaves them all behind. Um, and sometimes they get to hang, hang out and, and come along with you for a while. In, in addition to, uh, accruing a crew, would this also be a time to accrue sort of some additional skills? Oh yeah. This, like I said, the, yeah, absolutely. Um, this is some nice cloaks. Um, I think Campbell calls this the period of metamorphosis, mm-hmm. um, where the, the hero who comes out of the initiatory stage will not be the person who came in. And that will be either because they gain 
skills with certain objects. You know, they became trained with weapons that they never had, or they gain magical objects that give them powers they didn't have before, or they themselves gain more knowledge about how to function uh, away from their homeland. So, yes, absolutely. I think that it's important to point out that while um, many things are gained, uh, there are also things that are lost, um, sometimes limbs, you know, maybe yeah. a hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and um, it's... So Jung uh, and Campbell. So Campbell is really Campbell's basing his hero's journey on two major things. One is the structure that he sees over and over and over again uh, in stories, but that structure mirrors uh, what Carl Jung found to be kind of the way that our psyche is structured anyway, which is based uh, pretty heavily on the way that Freud saw that our uh, psyche is structured. And so, so there's this Jungian kind of structure of the mind where we have a conscious, so that you can think of the top part of our circle as the conscious side, um, the bottom part of the circle is the unconscious side. Uh, but, but Campbell was also really into looking at stories from all over the world, as we mentioned before, and also initiation rites, and often in rites of initiation, so the, the young man has to become... Uh, a, a man man and so he goes on a journey and actually um, they'll actually often like actually make the young man bleed in some way so they'll like knock out a tooth or they'll knock him over the head or they'll cut him in some way to show um, that he's going through this stage so so some things are gained you know magic uh, trinkets maybe wands maybe cloaks uh, but things are are also lost, and it is it's a time when your hero changes. Maybe he gets uh maybe he gets beat up by a wampa, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Cut up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Maybe that may or may not be to cover up his motorcycle accident <laughs> that he had between films. But you know, hard hard to say. Still debated to this day. <laughs> <laughs> so there is a, a definite cost that comes into this phase. While you're gaining things, your horse might drown in a swamp. Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah yeah. Yeah. Oh, that was vivid. Uh, anyway. Uh, breaks um, my heart. <laughs> sorry. Sorry to bring that one in. <laughs> I'm like, I need a box of tissues on my... Uh. I was going to say, uh, during the initiation, we're going to cover all, all the steps, and th- this one, even more than uh, the first stage, this one can be very jumbled. So as we name check each one of these in the stories, they don't go in this order. Um, so like the first step is the Road of Trials. Road of Trials kind of permeates the entire initiation stage. Um, it's not that you hit the road of trials and then you move on to the next step. Right. Um, so the road of trials is the first stage of initiation. Um, this is, uh, as we said, where you run into tasks, trials, um, you know, gatekeepers that you have to overcome or pass through, uh, things that are stopping you on your path. All of these are going to aid in that metamorphosis or transformation that the hero is undergoing. Yeah, I think it's important to note that when you cross that line from... At, at, that stands at three o'clock. Uh, in a true hero's journey, you are passing from one world into the next. So you pass through nine, you know, platform nine and three quarters. You get on that train, and it's taking you to a completely different world. You get on the shuttle; it's going to take you off of uh, Earth um, and take you up into space. You get on uh, the pirate ship, and you find out there are zombies and magic in a way that you never assumed there were before. <laughs> yeah, and and and. Campbell points out that this is um, th- w- this world, uh, so this underworld is often associated with water, where things are kind of fluid um, and less structured, 
Um, it's where you've run into lots of kind of, you can run into lots of magical beasts, but you can also just get like rained on <laughs> or soaked, right? Yeah. So um, I, there'll be a lot of uh, baptismal imagery in this because you're you're moving from one stage of life to the next. Yeah. So maybe your dogs uh, they wrap their leashes around you and you fall into a big puddle, and that you know it sig- signifies a change. And right. so anyway, um, I think that's important. Yeah. So along with the road to trials during the initiation, it's, I guess we should say that most of the myths that Campbell was looking at had a male protagonist. And the next two stages are the meeting with the goddess and the woman is temptress. <laughs> and the meeting with the, the goddess is where the hero finds a true love and the woman is temptress is where the hero is tempted to stray from the path that he's on. Yeah, and, and this is the other big... So the two big issues, I think, um, that people can take with with the hero's journey is one we already talked about just it's so broad and so general that some people are just like well whatever um you could apply it to anything um which is true (laughs) uh and the other one is is that it's totally male-centric um almost all of the heroes that he discusses are male and when he discusses a female um he sort of brushes over some of the differences and doesn't seem to really tackle um, in what ways, if at all, uh, a female a female's hero's journey, a heroine's journey, uh, would be different than a hero's journey? Um, and some people have tried to address this. Uh, I um, I feel like the jury's still out in in a lot of ways. So uh, anyway, I mean, and this is a fault of both. Like you said, Campbell didn't make any effort to address it, but also, I mean, the bulk of the myths that he had to work with have male protagonists because most most societies were telling patriarchal style stories. So that's, you know, the, you know, the playing field he was on was leaning that way and he made no effort to correct it, I would say. Um, but yeah, uh, the, another stage of the initiation is atonement with father. Um, it, uh, Campbell, he doesn't argue that it's always a father figure, but there is something that is holding the hero back, and that must be addressed. And often it is a father. That's why he used that as the label. But it doesn't mm-hmm. have to exclusively be the father. But there is some uh, something from usually the hero's past that is kind of t- tying them or tethering them back to their old life and trying to prevent them from progressing. So they have to uh, either make peace with that or sever it. I'm having some trouble thinking of, of like good examples with this because like generally the heroes are orphans. So it seems like, you know, atoning with the father is, is hard to do when there's no parents, but there's often still some, uh, so it it is, it is a phrase he's using to describe something from the previous life. So in hero, in hero thousand faces, there are, you have three options uh, option number one is mystical union. So when you get to the very bottom, so now we're talking about uh, six o'clock, right? So we're at the very bottom of the circle. So our hero will descend, 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 descend. He'll go through all these series of trials, and he'll um, he'll have this transformation. And when he hits rock bottom, a couple of things almost always happen. One, he'll almost always be, or she will almost always be in a world and, and surrounded by water. So you may be at the very bottom of, uh, I don't know, underneath an opera house, uh, and surrounded in water, standing in the middle of a lake, uh, or <laughs> but you're almost always going to be in some uh, thing of water. You may be having a huge battle um, in a place, you know, 
in a big fortress and all of a sudden it will start to rain like a torrential downpour where so now everybody's completely soaked and muddy um you may pop out of a drain uh after having escaped from a prison and end up in a in a big watery muddy pit and then stand stand up and you're uh being washed with all of this stuff is being washed away so when you get down there you have a couple of options one is mystical union so you can um find the love of your life and and be unified with them uh the other one is this atonement with the father um the best example that i can think of is um empire strikes back right you go down in this go down in the cave um, you meet the you meet the Darth Vader and you lop off his head and then the 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 uh, the mask blows away right. and you realize that it's you, yourself. Right. Yeah. I, I guess when it says atonement with father, it it doesn't necessarily mean confronting the father. It, it uh, I think Campbell talks about it almost as much as a form of insight gained. Uh, that you gained an understanding of the world uh, and you had a blind spot because of your anger towards your father or because of your ignorance and you get a moment of clarity uh, and oftentimes it's realizing that you were the same as your father or <laughs> that uh, your father wasn't all bad um, or that there was you know reasons for behaviors that you didn't understand before. But you get this moment of clarity that allows you to make peace with something that you had, you'd been carrying a burden. Yeah, atonement is a... I think it's a tricky word that he uses, but it's... Yeah, I think you've said it well. It's coming to term, coming to face with, coming to face or coming to terms with uh, something that we would associate with um, the father. Which, if we're if we're really digging into like Jungian archetypes, um, it's you're really getting back to where you started, right? I mean, mm-hmm. this the underworld uh, for Jung. So everything from three o'clock to nine o'clock is associated with the mother. And everything, uh, I mean, on the bottom, I guess. <laughs> so the, the dark side of the circle, that's all associated with the mother. Um, it's associated with um, uh, instinct and sensation. Um, everything above the, the, the top half of the circle, that's all uh, logic and, and rational kind of thought, and which, which in archetype language is associated with the father yeah so it's it's beginning it's the moment where you can start to see um some kind of union between both of these sides and the next step that uh campbell laid out was apotheosis and this is a kind of moment of rest it's a breather (laughs) after uh you know a highly climactic thing has occurred um and uh, this is one so that's the third of the of the three things that happen when you're at the bottom uh no did we miss the third Todd? Uh let me look at my. This little, is the next step in the. Uh, look at my picture here. Okay, so this is an initiation. This is after sorry, you I thought we'd we wrapped up. No, so you have four options. When you hit six o'clock, you have four options. You have sacred marriage. You have father atonement. You have apotheosis, and okay, you have uh, the elixir theft. Okay, um, and that's according to the book. Um, and so apotheosis is when you uh, become something else, and. Uh, yeah, but you, you become yeah. immortal. Yeah, yeah, apotheosis yeah, but, means you become a god. Yeah, and you, this is usually portrayed in the stories as a period of rest for our hero, um, because it's a climactic. You know, it's the climax. Uh, often, I, like I think, apotheosis is usually the final thing that happens in the second act, <laughs> where it, it's usually after the final thing. Which the final one here on the list is the ultimate boon. And I think in a lot of the narratives that we see, um, you know, the the crisis that leads to the atonement with father and the gaining of the ultimate boon, 
can happen simultaneously, and then you get apotheosis afterwards, leading into the final stage of the hero's journey. Apotheosis is resurrection. I mean, th- this is this whole thing is about descent, 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 descent. You either have some mystical union or you die, and almost always, I think, especially in the in the things that we see now, this lots of people die and then come yes. back to life. <laughs> oh yeah, all the time. Um, and that's what apotheosis is about. That's, this is why the water imagery, because it's about baptism, which is about rebirth. So you descend, 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 descend. You have some huge confrontation with either your father or some powerful entity uh, that stands in as your father. Maybe it's a... Uh, Maybe it's um, a guy who also has a big iron supersuit that you have to fight, or yep. maybe it's the big general who has a big iron supersuit, and you just have a, you know, an avatar body that you picked up on, you know, through, uh, you know. <laughs> but there has to be some big thing, and then you, um, and then you die, and then you come back to life. Right, and um, like I was saying, I think a lot of times apotheosis follows the ultimate boon because the ultimate boon is when you achieve the goal of your quest. You you stop the bad guy, you gain the knowledge you needed, uh, um, and so I'm I'm thinking in like Avengers, Iron Man launches the nuclear missile into outer space and it stops the alien invasion, and then he has his apotheosis follows that right where he falls back. To yeah, Earth. yeah, yeah. They, they, these are all interchanging pieces, and I think apotheosis. Mm, See, I think of apotheosis as more like, for me, the key to an apotheosis is is this idea of resurrection more than like state of rest. Right, but uh, I mean, so often, like, uh, you what happens is you get the cut of our hero at the end of a battle collapsing, and then it you know cuts to some gauzy white you know. Uh, uh, over uh, washed out scene. How long uh, was I asleep? Yes, exactly. <laughs> of of the hero waking up, and you know this is where they've experienced apotheosis is coming out of that. Right. So basically, at the end of every single Harry Potter book, when he wakes up and and like Dumbledore's <laughs> there, and he's like, "Now I will tell you like everything. I, w- I will help you see everything that you've learned on I will your journey." Explain the incredible reckless child endangerment that you just went through. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Yeah. I don't know why Dumbledore doesn't bother me nearly as much as, like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> it's just what you start to think about, particularly in the early ones. It's like, whoa, Dumbledore. <laughs> you, uh, you really put a lot of trust in a 12-year-old. <laughs> but yeah. So, like you said, a lot of the second stage stuff can be mixed oh, yeah, around I, I, and I interchanged. Think... So you could see these things showing up anywhere. Yeah, absolutely, uh, during during this step. Yeah, and now... This is where to... this is where people can pick up a, like a lot of beef with Campbell because it's like wait a second. So is apotheosis before or is it after? And if if apotheosis happens and like Harry Potter wakes up and he's all better, then what does return even look like? I mean is is I I think all of these steps now at the end uh sometimes they they all happen like in rapid succession. Sometimes they're all conflated into one thing and you wake up and like you're home. Right? right. So you've returned, you've had the ultimate boon, because you, you passed out when you were gaining the ultimate boon, and it's implied that you had apotheosis in the interim. Yeah. <laughs> but the important, but I, I, I mean, I just can't stress this enough. The important thing is that you have descend, 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 then you die, then you're resurrected, and then you come back. Right. All right, so the final phase is the return. Did, did you cover ultimate boon enough, you think? I mean, it's, ultimate it's, boom means you get whatever it is that you yeah, were looking for. Yeah, this is for. the purpose of the quest is is obtained. So, 
you you master all four elements. You master all four elements. You throw the ring in the in Mount Doom. You become a Jedi. Um, you save your father. Uh, you kill the Emperor. You um, I don't know. Yeah, you, you you stop the monster that's rampaging across the ocean. You know, <laughs> whatever it may be. You break a general. What's his name? Zod's neck. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You you uh, you defeated or you tied uh, Apollo Creed. Yeah. <laughs> you slice a flying kaiju in half. Uh, what? <laughs> Pacific Rim. Oh man! You just got was the very first reference of all of these that we've made that I didn't get right off the bat. <laughs> and that's the one DVD that deep I have cut, sitting in front of me cut. on my shelf. <laughs> Nice. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, ultimate boon is whatever it is that you were trying to do. You, you did, you stop the, you stop the invasion, you beat the, you beat back the whatever. Yeah. You stopped the Nazis from getting the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah. The yeah. Usual things, things yeah. like that. All right. Uh, or, or, or the Ark stops the Nazis. Well, yes, I guess you don't really, uh, you don't really do a whole lot. You watch yeah. the Ark <laughs> melt some Nazis. No, you can't, you can't look. That's true. <laughs> All right, uh, final phase, the return. return. Um, And this is often preceded by the refusal of the return, which is um, you've had your apotheosis, you've changed, you don't fit in anymore, and you're like, you know what, I'm good. (laughs) You've mystically mystically united with uh, the goddess. Yeah, (laughs) might might not want to go back. Or it might not just be that you don't want to go back, but you no longer fit in. You you just can't function in that world because your metamorphosis has been so severe, you don't fit in anymore. Yeah. This is uh, Frodo at the at the end of Lord of the Rings is my most clear refusal of the return. Yeah, I'm trying to think of. I mean, do you see Oliver Queen go through this like I'm in, I'm out, I'm in, I'm out, I'm in, I'm out. I'm going to go back to the island. I'm going to come back and lost. Also, there's a lot of this, um, like you know, I want to be or here. No, the, I want to go back. No, yeah, I want to. We have to go back to the island. Uh, yeah, when their whole point was to get off the island, and then suddenly they need to return. Right. Um, or even uh. In Avengers: Age of Ultron, spoiler warning for anyone who hasn't seen it, like Tony no, Stark. No, I have says, not. Don't, don't oh, spoil it. I've not seen it. <laughs> I was gonna say, yeah, yeah, there's the, a line the, the, where it's two weeks. Yeah, on there's that. a line though where Tony Stark says, like, isn't the whole point that we got to stop doing this? Like, no, listen, moratorium on Age of Ultron <laughs> is saying, until that was I it. see it. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> Which just, is probably going to be when it comes out on Redbox. <laughs> and there, there's some talk about wanting to be able to stop and go back to a normal life. Yeah. All right, um, and this is another one where there's some. <laughs> When Campbell lays these out, it's like, sometimes I'm like, Campbell, why why the order that we have here? Because the next stage is the magic flight, which is how the hero escapes with the boon. And I don't understand why that one pre or follows the refusal of the return. Uh. Well, yeah, again, like, these are all, in some ways, interchangeable parts. And in other ways, um, like, you can't refuse the call and accept the call simultaneously. So it's it's like an either-or thing. So... You either refuse refuse to return or you return. If you return, now you have a couple of options. So you have magic flight, which would be running as fast as you can to try to get out of this uh, hellish underworld in which you are. And the ground is collapsing with every step, and you're barely ahead of... Right. Yeah, Yeah. running, 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 and it's collapsing underneath you, and then you dive, and your fingertips grab onto a ledge, and then you pull yourself up. Or you explode out on the back of a dragon, you know, something like that. 
Yeah, possibly. Uh, uh, then there's also Rescue Without, where in the process of gaining the boon, you kind of become trapped, and someone, probably one of your, your mentor or part of your fellowship from earlier, has to help remove you from the situation you found yourself in. Maybe somebody dies. some eagles. Ma- maybe somebody sends eagles. Maybe somebody dives into the, uh, into the lightning sand. What is it? What's this? Yeah, yeah. lightning yeah. sand. Yes, thank you. Somebody dives in the lightning sand and pulls you out. Uh, maybe some mermaids come down, and they'll... Um, you know, blow some oxygen into your lungs and give you <laughs> a magical ability to breathe underwater so that you can come out and maybe a coffin bobs up out of the sinking ship. Possibly. These are Possibly. All, all, all very probable options. <laughs> Let's see. And then what's the other option there? We had magic flight rescue from without. Oh, um, the crossing of the return threshold. This is where you, you actually, you're back try and return and um, as one option is that you're now the master of two worlds where you do reintegrate, but you have skills and mastery over things that you didn't before. And you're, you become a more significant member of that community because of this. Yeah. So the way that I, the way that I envision this, cause I'm a really visual thinker is um, we talk about, we talk about a hero's journey, but what really happens is, uh, in, in a lot of the stories, especially the ones that we've been referencing, um, you see the same hero go through this same process over and over and over and over and over again. And if you were to imagine this circle now that we've drawn, so now hero's come back, he's crossed over uh, the line, or she's crossed over the line at 9 o'clock, and she's heading back up uh, 10, 11, 12, she returns. Um, if you were to imagine that as uh, the dark and light as uh, liquid, Mm-hmm. And you spin that over and over and over again as your hero goes through this journey over and over and over again. Eventually, what you get is um, the yin yang symbol, right? Yeah. Where everything's spinning together, and the person that the 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 true hero that comes out of this is someone who is what Jung calls individuated, which means that you are no longer uh, one or the other, but you're both. Yes. And as the, uh, I mean, another example that really sticks out to me is in the movie Stardust, like with the Master of the Two Worlds, you're literally, you return, uh, and you become king over your old world. <laughs> um, mm. But with the skills that you gained in the new one, and also with, uh, you know, the love of your life, who's a mystical being from the other side of the threshold. Uh, the movie Stardust is a really good example, I think, of, of, yeah. uh, of this. I'm thinking about, like, the difference between the end of The Hobbit and the difference, and, and the end of The Lord of the Rings. So at the end of The Hobbit, uh, Bilbo comes back, and I think he is master of both worlds. He's he's balanced and individuated, um, and he's he's able to go back and kind of integrate back into life. And he's different. He's not the same Hobbit that he was when he started, uh, but he's but he's not totally incapable of living in that world where he was. Versus Frodo, who comes back at the end of the Lord of the Rings and has to just say, you know, I've got to go not get handle on a, it at all. I have to get on a boat with the elves and just go off into the elvish world because I can no like this experience changed me so deeply and fundamentally that I can no longer uh, associate with this top half of the circle, and yeah. so I'm just going to go, you know, right off into the sunset. And the final stage, which uh, Bilbo had, uh, is the freedom to live, um, where you've obtain such mastery that you don't fear anything anymore. You live life as you want. And that is the end goal of the hero's journey. This is present. So, so, presence. Yeah. 
So that is, after you've pickled the beast, you can just play baseball for the rest of your life? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And um, w- one thing that uh, Campbell argued is that, you know, every person on Earth is their own hero that can have their own hero's journey. And his his uh, philosophy to try and, and entice people to do that is uh, follow your bliss. Uh, and inevitably that will take you uh, through a process that will give you the chance to have the freedom to live in the end. So follow your bliss was kind of his personal philosophy that he tried to teach his students. And it really can be, I mean, it's a powerful way to envision things. Um, I mean, we naturally, I think human beings naturally, uh, we think about our lives in terms of the hero's journey, whether we know about the hero's journey or not. Uh, but every day is its own hero's journey, right? So you wake up in the morning, uh, you leave home and then you come back and you've gone through a series of experiences and, uh, hopefully you're better for what you've been through. Um, so there are these, you know, micro, every single day is its own kind of micro hero's journey. Uh, and then there are longer ones that we talk about. So like going off to college is absolutely a hero's journey, right? You leave home, you go into this crazy world where, uh, the rules are all different. There are and different you gatekeepers. Have, you have friends. You have different <laughs> gatekeepers. You you pick up different mentors. You accrue accrue. Uh, you face demons, um, and hopefully you come back a better person. Uh, but not everybody makes it out. One one of the things I was going to mention. So one of the genres of film that I really like is film noir, and I I really don't know why I like it so much because it's really dark and kind of depressing. But this is about heroes' journeys who that never end well. The hero descends, 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 and then dies, <laughs> and like never, and never comes back. And it's it's just sad and dark. But but they follow all of the same, uh, all of the all of the right. It hits all the right notes until until partway through when there is no apotheosis. There is no there's no resurrection. There's just death. And you know sometimes. So I, I, for me, it's been. Uh, really helpful in my own life when I hit really dark moments to think, well, you know, I think we're hitting close to six o'clock, but six o'clock always ends up in uh, resurrection and baptism, mystical union and apotheosis. And so like, I can, I can do this. I've done this before and I, I'll do it again. And to be able to see that pattern it, for me has been really powerful. And maybe that's just maybe, hokey, like kumbaya kind of stuff, but uh, I think it it makes a difference for me. All right. Well, any uh, final things that we need to touch on, Andrew or Todd? Anything you guys were thinking about? Uh, I think we've I think we covered it. All right. Well, then that yeah, I'm, I'm impressed. That about wraps up this episode. <laughs> uh, so thank you for joining us. And remember that you can subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in iTunes, and we would encourage you to leave a review there. We had a, a brief surge of reviews, but it's tailed off. So please, please leave a review uh, for us. It really helps the, uh, the program to get noticed. And go ahead and share uh, information about the Protagonist Podcast on your social media. Try and uh, spread the word to your friends. Uh, any references help us out a little bit. And if you want to suggest a character for us to talk about or have any comments or questions for us, you can email us at feedback at protagonistpodcast.com or you can find us on Twitter at protagonistpod. And each of us are also on Twitter. There's at Todd K. Mack, at Jay Dorowski, and at Andrew underscore Dorowski. And we have a Facebook fan page called Protagonist Podcast, and we love any feedback at all. So thanks again for listening. We'll be back next week to talk about another great character in a great story. So long. So long. 
Hey, uh, before I say actually my my final so long, I anticipate questions about does the hero's journey only apply to science fiction and fantasy? Oh, uh, the answer is no. I, we made a few references, but um, just look at myself uh, again. Like Rocky definitely follows the hero's uh-huh. journey. Um, you talked about Rudy. You talked about Field of Dreams. Yeah. Well, that one's fantasy. That's fantasy. <laughs> wow. Well, it's sports fantasy. <laughs> Actually, all of these are fantasy. <laughs> yeah. um, even things like, uh, I mean, ones like Finding Neverland, I think, probably follows the hero's journey. Which is also fantasy. It's, it's based on a, well, I mean, that one's based on a real story, you know, real right. life. Yeah. Um, let's see. The straight story absolutely follows yeah. that, and that is as non-fantastical a film as you can imagine. But it one hundred percent follows the hero's journey. So uh, no, I don't think it is. Uh, Jane exclusive. Austen. Jane Austen follows the hero's journey. I'm not saying I don't believe it, right. but I just wonder I, because we gave so many examples from science fiction and fantasy. But maybe we can add that to our. Uh, well, we'll see what what kind of feedback we get. Okay. So long. So long. <laughs> Again next week to discuss another great story and another. Oh, I was on a roll. We'll be back next week to talk about another great character in a great story. So long. <laughs>